And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So in Matthew chapter 24, we begin in verse 36. That's as far as we have gone in our verse-by-verse teaching. But Jesus speaking, saying, But of that day, what day? The return of the Lord. Of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. In verse 40, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. As we entered into this chapter known as the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is answering the questions of his disciples that came to him and said, what are the signs of your coming, the signs of the end of the age? And as we've been looking at Jesus' response concerning those signs, he called them sorrows and birth pangs relevant to his coming. Jesus gives an important word as we continue talking about his return. Some important things to take note of and to watch for. But also keep in mind, as we talk about the return of the Lord, as most of you know, but those of you who this is all new, as we talk about the return of the Lord, there's two distinct events. The rapture of the church where he comes for his church, Paul speaks of that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as well. But there's going to be a time when he comes for the church, a generation of Christians that are going to be taken to meet the Lord in the air, as Paul would write, to be with him, comfort one another with these words. So we've talked about the rapture of the church. And then the second coming of Jesus Christ, where he comes back literally and physically, he comes with his church. The armies of, of God are with him. Jude says he comes with ten thousands of his saints. So we're going to come back with him. But before that time, I believe that seven-year period prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ called the Day of the Lord, the Tribulation period, uh, called Jacob's Troubled. And we've discussed that. But before that time is the rapture of the church. And I think that we see that Jesus here is speaking of that time, the imminency of his return as we have looked at this. But I want you to also keep in mind this. That as we talk about the signs of his coming and the end of the age, this is not to stress you out, okay? It's not to depress you. It's not to scare you. It's not so that we live life like my daughter has a cat. And every time that we go over, that cat bolts and goes under the covers and hides. And it isn't, as we read these words, so where as we look at some very heavy things that we've talked about, the birth pangs, We've talked about persecution. We've talked about perilous times in the last days, as Paul would write. We know that the great tribulation that is yet future and the abomination of desolation, all these things and other references I, I have made concerning the return of the Lord, it can be overwhelming. But know this, that it is all culminating to something to where the kingdom of God is going to come. And it's not so that we today live like, 
Lulu the cat, who is under the covers. I know there are some days where I feel like I just don't want to get out of bed or if I could find a big rock to crawl under. But here's the thing. Don't quit school. Don't quit your job. You know, don't think that, that I can't continue just moving forward in life. We all have things to do, lives to live. But don't think that you have to go live in the most remote area that, you know, is possible and dig a bunker in all of that. This isn't given to scare us. It is to prepare us. It's not so that we're troubled in our hearts. And even Paul, as he wrote about the return of the Lord, he said, don't be shaken in mind. Don't be troubled in heart. But he, again, would say that comfort one another with these words. So as we talk about what the things that we see going on around us, and that does trouble us at times, doesn't it? We know that we're in perilous times. We see the things going on around us that point to the soon return of Jesus Christ. The, the birth pangs, we know, it's, we know it's all leading to something. And, and even as we look around what's going on in our nation, it really bothered me. It troubled me this week as I read about how our, our Congress in Washington passes a bill to, that, you know, to, it's okay to abort an unborn child clear up to the time that a woman goes into labor. I think, how evil. We're better than this. But that's where things are going as we look at these things. Yes, they do trouble us. But we can rejoice, as Jesus tells us, that when we begin to see these things come to pass, that look up for your redemption draws near. To know that we have the promise of life through Jesus Christ. So he is challenging us, and Jesus is putting this in front of us to help us to be watching and wise in the days in which we are living in and to be discerning of the days in which we are living in. Now note here concerning his return, verse 36, no one knows the day or the hour. So when someone writes a book or goes on YouTube or puts up a bunch of billboards that the Lord's going to return on this day, which has happened, it was just a few years ago. So I made reference before and alluded to Herod, Harold Camping that did this a few years ago. Remember, he was on Fox News. He put up a bunch of billboards. People actually gave him a bunch of money to do this, that the Lord's going to return on this day, and the Lord didn't come back on that day. There are those who have made predictions of the day, the hour of the Lord. And what amazes me is how many people will follow that false teacher or prophet, and they will believe their words over the words of Jesus. So to make it very, very clear, he says, no one knows the day or the hour. That is very easy to understand. Notice verse 42. Again, watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. Note in verse 44, be ready. He comes at a time you do not expect. Verse 50, the master of the servant will come and, and on a day when he is not looking and an hour that he is not aware. You go into chapter 25. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now, any of us that have raised kids, you know that we tell them things and we repeat it, don't we? I know I did as I raised four kids. We tell them things over and over again that are very important because we want them to remember it. And we know that there can be a tendency for them to forget. So these things are important. So you grow up to be wise, to be discerning, to, to know these things that are important. We repeat those things. And whenever the Lord repeats something in the scriptures, particularly 
in, in this section here, in these few verses over and over again, it is clear to us that no one knows the day or the hour of the coming of the Lord. So we're all clear on that, right? And so the challenge to us in these verses is not to go to sleep spiritually, as Paul writes concerning the day of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So these things are told to us so that we would be watching and sober and vigilant and that we are waiting. And we're told that all throughout the New Testament, it's repeated to us. And watching for the Lord doesn't mean, and waiting on the Lord, that we all put on white robes and we're going to stand on the roof of the church and be gazing up in heaven, you know, day after day. It means that we are preparing. It means that we are discerning of the days in which we are living in. It means that we are alert, watching spiritually. And as we do, knowing that he can come at any time. He's telling us about his imminent return. And he uses an Old Testament example. We know that a parallel account in Luke chapter 17 uses a second Old Testament uh, example about the imminency of his return or the imminency of judgment. Verse 37, let's read it. But as the days of Noah were also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So why should we be watching, alert concerning the Lord's coming? As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. We know that, again, a reference that you can look at when you go home and read it, that Luke chapter 17, he'll use a second example. I alluded to these two examples last week, but I want to look at it a little bit more closely, and that is Lot. But in the days of Noah, as he uses that example here in Matthew, in chapter 24, it's recorded for us, that they ate during that time. They drank. They married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. When I look at the days of Noah, again, Luke chapter 17 adds the days of Lot, those two Old Testament examples that speak of the suddenness and the certainty of his return. The first one here, the, the days of Noah, emphasizing the suddenness of God's judgment, the totality of the judgment, and then the unexpectancy of that judgment. We know the story of Noah in the book of Genesis. He was called a preacher of righteousness by the apostle Peter. The flood would come suddenly after Noah preached righteousness and built the ark. Noah was doing God's work. For 120 years, he was building the ark. And you see, you and I, that we are to occupy till he comes. He has things for you and I to do. He desires for us to continue to be a part of the growing and building of the kingdom of God. But here's Noah. He's out there building this huge boat, 450 feet long. That's, that's a football field and a half. 40 feet high, which is twice as high as this building is. Huge. And you just wonder, as, as Noah's doing that, and remember that that was such an enormous task that, that he is doing because there's no, you know, Home Depot, lumberyard. There's no power tools. He's there building it and his sons in 120 years. And I wonder what the people were thinking. 
as they came by. They're thinking, what's this old crazy guy doing? And as he's a preacher of righteousness, it's going to rain. Judgment is going to come. What do you mean judgment's coming? What is rain? Because it didn't rain in those days, not like today. Because we know before the flood in the book of Genesis that it tells us there was a firmament, this water canopy that was around the earth, in the atmosphere of the earth. So it was tropical all around the earth. And that's why, even though it's not advertised a lot, but you can see that they have found uh, fossils of tropical plants in the Sierra Desert, in the polar regions. You know, they have found up in the north towards the Arctic Circle a mammoth that was frozen. You've heard of that, that he had vegetation in his mouth. He was grazing when something very suddenly happened. So the evidence is there for it. So here is, you know, the firmament that's around the the atmosphere of the earth. And what do you mean it's going to rain? You're crazy. But here's the thing to consider. People lived to be over 800 years old at that time. So scholars believe, and, and those who study such things, that there was the population of the world was millions of people at that time. Perhaps even a couple million, a billion people. But how many people it was, millions or billions, eight people were right. The rest of them were wrong. And people will say to you and to me, you crazy Christian, thinking that the Lord's coming is near. Even as Peter said that in the last days, that's what's going to happen. The scoffers are going to be there saying, where's the return of, of the Lord since your forefathers' times? Things continue as they are. And that's really what Jesus is telling us. And just as there are scoffers today, there were scoffers in Noah's day. And remember, Jesus said, beware of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees that could not discern uh, the coming of the Son of Man. They could discern the weather. But what is being told to us here is that there will be a generation where there is the normal routines of life, eating and drinking and given to marriage and working, and suddenly there will be this interruption And as we have read, that one's going to be taken, the other one's going to be left. And we'll talk about that more in just a minute. And I am praying when it comes to the return of the Lord and the rapture of the church, I'm praying that we are that generation. Are we that generation? I don't know for sure, but I pray that we are. And maybe some have come through the services this morning and you're thinking, you know, I got things I want to do in life. I want to get married. I want to finish school. You know, I, I, I want to, you know, have children. I want to have a business. And I understand those thoughts. And I understand that there are things that we enjoy doing or look forward to doing. But if you're thinking that, that, Lord, I don't want you to come back right now. I got things I want to do in this life. I am praying against you, number one. I need you to know that. That, Lord, come anyway and know this, that when the Lord comes back, it is going to be so glorious and so wonderful that even as Paul said that when he was caught up into the third heaven, into paradise, that words are unexpressible to be able to describe what it is that he saw. And then when we go home to be with the Lord, we're going to be enamored with such a glorious state and, and such, you know, wonderful his glory in the glory of heaven and being with Jesus. We're not going to be thinking those things. We're not going to be thinking, I wish that you didn't come back, Lord. Paul would write that our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. 
And we can say for sure this, that this generation of the church is closer to the return of Jesus than any other generation. So the teachings of Jesus, so the, the scripture that we read that speak about his coming is more applicable to us than ever before. Learn from what the days of Noah were. He was a preacher of righteousness. And the people were doing evil continually, Genesis tells us. The world was filled with violence and with wicked imagination. And that's before there was social media and the internet and all the things that we can pull up and look at by, you know, a push of a button that's in our hands. They would continue to live their lives as normal. And in the midst of all of that, there was something looming over them. And then Noah and his family would enter the ark. And as they entered the ark and God closed the door and he sealed the door, all of a sudden, drip. 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 And the rains came and flooded the whole earth. The crust of the earth opened up and the waters came from underneath. The second example is told to us in Luke chapter 17. Let me read it to you. He also said, likewise, as it also is in the days of Lot, that they ate and they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom and it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all, even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. It's that word apocalypse, revealed. And I alluded to this last week. But we know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Things were going on as normal until on that day that Lot went out of Sodom. And we know the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's famous to this very day of great immorality. But also, I want to remind you that Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, as we went over that in our midweek study of Ezekiel, that we are told that this is the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride fullness of food, abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. Interesting, isn't it? So Lot being Abraham's nephew. The book of Genesis, you read about how it was Lot's who had a bunch of animals, herds of animals. Abraham did too. The herdsmen were butting heads. They're arguing. So Abraham, he comes to Lot and he says, listen, we're brothers. We don't need to be doing this. You pick where you want to go. You look, you go that direction, I'll go the opposite direction. So it tells us, Genesis 13, that it was Lot that looked towards the Jordan plain. And as he did, it looked like a garden. So we see that Lot, he pitched his tent outside the city of Sodom. The next time that you read about Lot, he's in the city of Sodom. The next time after that, he's sitting at the gate of Sodom, which was a position of leadership. And as he's there in the city... Even though there was great immorality and sin in Sodom, great pride and arrogance, there was something that drew Lot and his family into that city. It was very prosperous. Lots of activities. Sure, to them it seemed like it was culturally stimulating, economically prosperous. But there was great wickedness. There was great wickedness. And we know that Second Peter chapter 2 telling us that righteous Lot that he was vexed in his soul as he would hear the lawless deeds that was going on there. But God delivered righteous Lot out of that. 
And as I mentioned and alluded to last week, that when Lot went and told his son-in-laws, we need to get out of Sodom, judgment's going to come. They said, you know, you're kidding. They thought he was joking. We know that it would be the angel that had to take Lot and his family, his wife and two daughters out of Sodom, grab him by the hand and say, I can't do anything until you leave, get out of here. And I do believe that it is a powerful picture of us who have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that we will be taken out of that trial of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the face of the earth. That we will be taken out of and away from how it reads from the hour of trial that shall come upon the whole earth. There's only two times that that happened. One was a flood that's already taken place. And then the other time is when God pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world. He didn't say that the promise would be, I'll take you through or keep you through. I'll take you out and away from the hour of trial that shall come upon the whole earth. And I believe that Lot pictures that as he's taken out and then judgment would come to Sodom. But also there's a little addendum to that story as we read in Luke chapter 17 that Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Remember Lot's wife. Prepare for the the Son of Man to be revealed. Don't be attached and so enamored with this world. Remember Lot's wife. Back in Genesis chapter 19, verse 16, they lingered. And the angel had to take them by the hand to get them out. In verse 17, don't look back. They were warned. Verse 26, she looked back and became a pillar of salt. And by the way, somebody might tell you, if you ever mention that story, ah, that's a fairy tale. That's a bunch of baloney. You know, really, she turned into a pillar of salt. What is interesting is Josephus, the Jewish historian, said that he saw it. And the remains, and he said it remains to this day. Clement of Rome said that he saw it and all its members intact on the southern end of the Dead Sea, and it's very difficult to get to. Eyewitnesses of of her turning into a pillar of salt, they said they saw it. And when we say, when we read that, She looked back there in Genesis chapter 19. It's more than she just glanced back to see the fire and brimstone because the next verse tells us that Abraham, he watched the smoke of the judgment as he looked towards the plain. But when she looked back, what it's telling us, it has the meaning of, is that she she longed for Sodom. Sodom was still in her heart. She didn't want to leave. That's why she lingered and she looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt. She was so fascinated and captivated by Sodom. She just couldn't leave Sodom in her heart. It was Jesus, you remember that he said earlier in Matthew, that no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. The children of Israel in the wilderness kept longing to go back to Egypt, which is a picture of the world. And I just want to say this, choose wisely. Choose wisely. Lot, choose where you're going to go. And he went towards Sodom. It was Joshua that said right before his death that you choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I just want to say this. If you prioritize the world or you get so enamored with the world, listen, we're in the world. 
It doesn't mean that we have to live every day, you know, just like Eeyore, you know, Winnie the Pooh, just, oh, it's such a... It, we can enjoy the things of the world in that, that we have the Lord that is the priority. In other words, the world isn't the priority. We're not just living for the world. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. So we can be thankful for the blessings that we have and, and be thankful for the Lord as is in our hearts as we are in this world, but we're not of the world. Amen? And I'll tell you this, that if the world starts captivating you to where you just get way down with just the things of the world and it ends up becoming a priority for you, it will have an assault on your walk with the Lord, okay? Just remember that. Paul said that forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, pressed towards the goal uh, of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And again, the challenge is given to us as believers is there is to be this preparedness in the coming of the Lord because we do not know the day or the hour. He's coming at a time that you do not expect. Life was going on as usual, eating and drinking and given to marriage, and at a time they did not expect was the coming of the Son of Man. We read in verse 40, Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. So Luke adds in his gospel this parallel account here that there will be two that will be sleeping, one will be taken, one will be left. And there are very good commentators that will say, well, as he's talking about Noah taking you know, those away to judgment, that what this is saying is that one will be taken for judgment and those who are left will enter into the millennium reign of Christ. I have no problem with that interpretation, but here's the thing that I find interesting. And I hope that you would consider the structure and the context here. When Jesus says, in the days of Noah, uh, and, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, it's the word arrow in the Greek. It means to take away to judgment, to conquer, to take away, to kill. It's obvious as you read the story of, of Noah in the flood. As you look at it here, what's being talked about. But when you go to verses 40 and 41, one will be taken. It's a different Greek word. It's paralambano. Para means alongside. A parable, right? A parable that we're going to read a couple parables as we go into chapter 25. It is a story that Jesus tells that comes alongside a spiritual truth that's very important for us to understand. But here, the Greek word paralambano, a different word, it means taken to oneself. And when you take these verses in Matthew chapter 24, as well as Luke chapter 17, notice that you have different time zones that are being spoken of here. Really a worldwide event. Two will be sleeping, that's what, nighttime. Two will be grinding at the mill, that's what they would do first thing in the morning. Two will be working in the field, talking about later in the day. So Jesus, when he warns about the imminency of his coming, that there will be this taking that is going to happen worldwide to where somewhere it's going to be night and somewhere it's going to be early morning and somewhere it's going to be later in the day. And when this happens, one is going to be taken to himself and this word taken in the scripture, what we have looked at uh, here, is 
in this scripture is used, can be used in a negative sense, but most of the time it is used in the New Testament in a positive sense. As we look at that word, paralambano, the first time that it's used in the New Testament, we're going to be reading about this in a couple months as we get closer to Christmas. That as the angel comes to Joseph and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take to you, marry your wife. That's our word there. Because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she's going to bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. So that's the first time. Joseph, don't be afraid to take to you Mary as a bride to, you know, he was to take a bride to himself. We find it in the Mount of Transfiguration. We read where Jesus took with him Peter, James, John. He took them alongside with himself to go up on the mountain. We find it in Luke chapter 9, verse 10. In the feeding of the 5,000, before they would go and get in a boat and go over to that deserted place, that the apostles came back and they're telling Jesus as they went out two by two all the things that had happened. And so he told them uh, to, to get in a boat. And he took them, it says, that's our word there, and went to a private place. And then I really like this in John chapter 14, as we read Jesus, and he tells his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I will paralambano, same word, receive you to myself, to where I am, there you may be also. So as I read this, no one knows the day or the hour of my coming. Not the angels, my father only, Jesus speaking from the vantage of his human knowledge, not from the standpoint of his divine omniscience. As in the days of Noah, the flood came and took them all the way to judgment. That is to the unbeliever. Only eight were in the ark. And then two will be grinding, two sleeping, two working in a field. One will be taken, paralambano, to him. So the exhortation, we know this, is that you're to be watching, verse 42. You're to be ready, verse 44, because you do not know what hour I come. It will be at a time that you do not expect. And that's one of the reasons, as I study the scriptures, that I hold to the view that the rapture will take place before the tribulation period. Because if it happens, as some believe, and take the view of the mid-tribulation, and listen, if you take that view or post-trib at the end of the tribulation is the rapture, you're still saved. But I believe that it will happen before because in the middle of the tribulation period, there's a lot that's going to be going on. We've read about it. There's the abomination of desolation. The Antichrist proclaiming himself as God. There's the killing of the two witnesses. There's going to be no buying or selling unless you take the mark of the beast. Those are pretty significant events that are going to be taking place. At the end of the tribulation period is the battle of Armageddon. And we know that the second coming is at the end of the tribulation period. So Jesus is talking about a time that you do not expect the imminency of his return. Be watching, be sober, be vigilant, be wise. We're told that over and over again. And I believe that he can come for his church to take a bride to himself. I believe in this as an imminent event such as described here. 
And we will meet him in the air, that the Lord will descend with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trump of God. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Our puzzle, the, the Latin word rapturus, to meet him in the air. Comfort one another with these words. And then the day of the Lord, that time described in chapter 6 through 19 of the book of Revelation. And then Jesus will come in the second coming. We come with him and he'll establish his kingdom. So we're being told to watch, to be ready, because he's coming at a time that you do not expect. And then let's finish the chapter here, and let's read the, the, the final word of Jesus that he gives to, to us in this chapter as we read in verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. And assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We are told that in being ready and being wise, that we are to be faithful. Blessed is the servant whom his master, when he comes, will find him so doing. So what is our response today? To hide under the covers? To, to dig a bunker and hide there? Our response is we're to continue to do and be the faithful servant. And it's not the mentality of we who believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ that we stick our heads in the sand. That is not the, the context at all that we see in the scriptures. But what we are doing is to, to be doing the will of the master. And as we move into the next chapter, there's going to be the parable of the talents that's going to be really important for us to understand because what has been entrusted to us, we need to be good stewards of it. We need to be good stewards of that. And we need to occupy till he comes and to keep looking and to keep watching. And here's the thing. It's not just concerning the return of the Lord. I pray that he comes very soon. But I know in my life that I'm looking back at my life more than I'm going to be looking forward. And I know that I'm in the last days. And I pray that the Lord, as long as he gives me breath, that I can keep teaching and keep going. But tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. That's what I'm saying. Tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. Sue's brother, my wife, great shape. You know, always been in good shape. Younger than I am. Last week drops, his heart stops. And now he lies in the bed. We're praying he wakes up. And we think, wow, Lord, how can this be? Tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. And we are to live in a way that we are living every day for the master. And what he has entrusted to us. To be a good steward of those things. Because life is but a vapor. 
And I know that there are some in this fellowship that you're praying for loved ones that you don't know if they're going to be around tomorrow. And it just teaches us and it reminds us how precious life is. And I want to remind you of this, that John in his epistle says, when he is revealed the Lord, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. That is, if we are living every day, that perhaps, Lord, that this is my last day that I have. Maybe today you might come back. We don't know the day or the hour, but tomorrow is a promise that I'm not going to be carnal and living for the world and hanging out at the bars and all this other stuff. But Lord, the one you who loves me could come for me. And I want to live for you. And I want to live in eternity's perspective and views. And I want to occupy till you come because eternity is real. And the Lord is coming back and we are rushing towards the return of the Lord. So I pray we keep our eyes on him, that we watch for him, that we look to him. You have a message of hope that the world needs to desperately hear. And the people that are linked to you in your life need to hear that message and see it be worked out in your life. Not as somebody who's like the world. I think one of the saddest comments that I get is when somebody says, why should I become a Christian? You know, I knew this guy, he was a Christian. He's no different than I am. He parties, he does this, he curses and everything else. Not that they're going to see perfection, but they see the reality of Jesus in us as we speak the truth in love, as we live for him. As Daniel, they noticed there was an excellent spirit that was in him. That same spirit in Daniel's in you and me, that we can be light to others. And keep your eyes on the Lord. Because he's coming at a time that you do not know. Good. Can I ask you a question? I've asked you this before. Do you believe that the Lord could come at any moment? For me, don't try to take that away from me. Because what I read here is he says that you better be ready and watching. And this is a command. It's not a suggestion. Because I'm going to come at a time that you do not know. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these reminders and Lord, these words of Jesus, and it really is sobering to us, but Lord, there's, there's meaning, there's power behind your word. It's alive. So I thank you that we've had the privilege of hearing once again these words and that we would keep our eyes on you. We would be wise, discerning, sober, vigilant. We would live for you. Father, I want to pray if there is anyone listening or out in the coffee shop or here that you've never given your life to Jesus. Listen, he's your salvation. Jesus came the first time because he came to take care of the sin problem. Mary, you're going to have a son. His name shall be called Jesus, Yahshua, thy salvation. And he's going to save his people from their sins. And we've all sinned. And the wages of sin is death. But Jesus made atonement for your sin. That's why he came. And his love for you. To give you hope. To bring forgiveness through the atoning work on the cross. 
to bring you into right relationship with the Father because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he proved it by rising from the grave. Come to Jesus. Tomorrow is a promise to you. If you're not right with God, get right with him. Come in faith. Come in and crying out to him for forgiveness and asking him to sit upon the throne of your life as Lord and Savior. It's by faith that we are saved. As you come recognizing your need for him, you can do that right now, right where you are. Sincerely in your heart praying, Jesus, I come and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I turn to you because you are my salvation. Forgive me. I have sinned. I ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. You're alive. I believe you rose from the grave speaking to me right now. And I thank you for hearing my prayer. And I give my life to you right now. And I thank you for bringing me into right relationship with the Father. Forgiveness of sin, the promise of eternal life, and this new beginning. And I want to be watching and learning of you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. And for all of us, as we go out of this place, Lord, keeping our eyes on you in every way, every day. And Lord, that we would be light to others. And to be in that place where you have us to be used of you. Not to be weighed down and carried away by the wiles of the enemy and the ways of the world. But to stay close to you live in a way that is pleasing to you. So Lord, I thank you for this morning and pray you bless everyone here as we go our way in our week. Fill us with your love. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?